Hello, everybody. This is Noah and John, and we are from Urban Digs. And Johnny, today we're talking Manhattan with Richard Haggerty, um, CEO of the Hudson Gateway Association of Realtors and president of One Key MLS. Um, so he's got his pulse on a lot, and he is going to provide some interesting thoughts on an area that we don't really talk about that much. Yeah, we're going to be talking about uh, cities, suburbs, you know, what's happening sort of in the region, uh, less so Manhattan specifically. We're going to broaden the perspective a little bit today, and uh, I couldn't think yeah. of a better guess, Noah. Yeah, and that's what I like about it. Let's get away from Manhattan for a day, and let's talk about uh, New York City, Richard. Um, thank you for being here. Welcome to our show, and let's just start out high level with, with broader trends that you're seeing uh, from your position. Noah, John, it's, it's great to be here. Um, and it's interesting, I've been in the association real estate business since, I hate to say this, 1984. So it's been a lot of years. And you know, one of the things we've always uh, known about real estate is that it's cyclical. Yet we've been kind of stuck in one cycle for a long time, low interest rates, uh, tight inventory. And I think we got very used to that cycle and we thought, well, this isn't gonna change. It's gonna stay the same for as long as I'm gonna be in the business. And now that we're starting to see an actual change in cycle, I think there are a lot of people who are scratching their heads because they haven't known anything else. But I think for those of us who have been in the business for a long time, we have been waiting for this change and we've been talking about the fact that it's gonna change for quite some time. And who knew that it was gonna take a pandemic and a potential recession to create that change in the cycle, but we are definitely seeing a change in the market. I don't think anybody's surprised at that. I'm not surprised at that. I think we're all a little bit surprised that it took so long. Right, and you're talking about um, regime change at the Fed in terms of their um, aggressiveness towards combating this inflation problem. Correct. Yeah. Right. So, Richard, if if you uh, you know if you could dust off the playbook from the 1980s. Uh, when that's, I think that's probably the last time we saw inflation rates at, at not necessarily levels today, but at high levels that would sort of necessitate a changing environment. I'm curious, you know, what are some of the lessons from then that you think might be applicable now? We survived. That's the biggest one. You know, don't panic. Uh, and in fact, I don't think we're going to see the same depth of cycles that we saw back then. Uh, I do think that both the New York City and the suburban markets are seeing the change, but I think it's also being overplayed in the press. Uh, if you look at the numbers, we, you know, we released our quarterly report uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and I prefaced the report by saying it's a challenging uh, task to compare the 2022 numbers to the 2021 numbers because 2021 was an overheated market, and it really is an unfair comparison from my perspective. So I compared the 2022 numbers to uh, 2019, which is obviously pre-COVID, which was still a very strong market. And if you compare it to 2021, the overheated market, yet if you just look at Westchester, uh, you know, suburban county just north of New York City, uh, we were down about 14% in single family homes. Mm -hmm. uh, you compare it to the 2019, we were actually ahead by 5.5%. Right. So I, I don't think that we should be, you know, pulling the panic button yet, because I think we're still, the, the fundamentals are still there. I think, you know, it, the increased interest rates have been baked into the market. Uh, and I still think that we are going to continue to do well, both in 
New York City and the greater suburban area. Uh, if, you, right. if you look at census numbers, we're not losing a tremendous number of people uh, to other states like Florida and Texas, the way the press continues to portray it. Yeah, I, th I think it's a fantastic, just your point about survival, I think is a fantastic point. And, you know, Noah and I are former traders, and that is the number one rule, which is basically don't blow up, just survive to fight another day. And I think that that's, you know, what a lot of folks need to be focused on here is just exactly what you're saying. Zoom out for a second and you look and it's the same in Manhattan. If you if you just zoom out and you look at 22's, 20, 2022's performance compared to the historical averages, I mean, it's right on the money. Um, and I guess that I guess that brings me back if I could kind of dig into this, you know, that's one of the things that we saw during the pandemic was there was a bit of a shift to the suburbs and a lot of those suburb suburban markets got overheated. And, you know, when I talk when we talk about that idea of survival, you know, how can sellers in the suburbs these days and, and how do buyers, how can they react um, to the changing market in terms of, you know, what's what inventory looks like and, and what prices are um, versus, say, a, an overheated market as a comparison? Well, the one thing, John, that hasn't come down, especially in the suburban market, are prices. Prices are continuing yeah. to accelerate at a slower pace, which is good. But I do think we need to see a price correction. Uh, and I think that's going to happen in the third and fourth quarter. And that, that almost needs to happen. Prices just have accelerated at too quick of a pace. And most of that's been driven, quite frankly, by lack of inventory. And that's a, that's a challenge that we can't necessarily control. Uh, my office, I, I live in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. My office, my headquarters office is in uh, White Plains. We also have offices in Bronx and in uh, Goshen, New York. Uh, and we need to see more for sale construction happening. And right now what we're seeing is a lot of multifamily rental construction. And my mm -hmm. concern is, is that with prices where they're at, with low inventory, not showing any signs of abating, more and more people are gonna have no other option except to go into market rate rental housing because that's where all the construction's happening right now. Uh, and I think that's unfortunate. You know, we obviously believe that home ownership is a pathway to generational wealth. And I think we've got to continue to try to figure out ways of creating those opportunities. Hey, Richard, um, are you already starting to see um, a slowdown um, in, in deal volume that, in your opinion, will um, ultimately reverse the course of this shortage of inventory? Because, I mean, when I look at this cycle, and it's such a strange cycle to look at, when you talk about regime change at the Fed, and I think that's such an underappreciated um, statement, by the way, um, I think a lot of people are not respecting it. Um, there is no banking overextension this time. There right. is, there is, in a lot of areas, there's not a inventory problem. So what, what you're really getting is almost like a Fed controlled demolition of demand destruction, in a sense, to a market that's not structurally kind of overheated. Even though prices have done their crazy things, there's these forces that, that, that um, like I said, the pandemic related forces. So I'm wondering this cycle, how deep and how long do you think this is going to encompass us? You know what? I put my crystal ball away about three decades ago. <laughs> well, uh, you save your hair that way. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and whoever would have thought that Elizabeth uh, Warren would be doing an op-ed piece arguing that the Fed should not be raising interest rates as aggressively as they are. Uh, but there's also a lot of uh, buzz. I think probably you both are aware of this more than I am, that the feds are being aggressive right now, but 
as soon as you see signs of a slowdown, which I think we're already seeing, uh, right. they're going to start to back off pretty quickly. You know, we're not going to know that until we know that. It's, I think it's foolish to really try to predict predict the Fed's moves uh, that much. However, I can tell you that even though interest rates have risen pretty dramatically, they haven't put the brakes necessarily on the housing market. I mean, even if you're looking in New York City, there are certain types of housing stock that are still really very competitive. If you're looking for a one-bedroom co-op in the east side, you're going to find plenty. If you're looking for a, a two or three-bedroom condo on the west side, you're going to have a tough time. Uh, so I don't think that this cooling off period is going to last all that long, which is really my deeper concern, which is we have to tackle the housing shortage problem. Uh, and especially right. in the suburban market. I mean, what's interesting is there were a lot of folks who did leave New York City uh, mm -hmm. during the pandemic. And it's, it's an interesting study that Pattern for Progress just released uh, this week. They're a think tank in the Lower Hudson Valley. And they got these numbers from the IRS. Uh, so they're super current. And folks moving into the uh, Lower Hudson Valley, 48,600 <laughs> and 42 of them came from New York City. Uh, folks who moved from the suburbs, Lower Hudson Valley into the city, 15,248. So that's a pretty big discrepancy there. Uh, but I still think that it's not the kind of numbers that were portrayed in the press. New York City is alive and thriving. I live there, I'm not moving to Florida, I'm not moving to Texas and I think that that market's going to continue to do well, and the suburban market's going to continue to do well. That's a, I, I second that point. Uh, I, I might not be in the city at this moment, uh, but I do live there, and uh, I, I, I was amazed to see the recovery take place in some of the, and this is sort of an aside, it's sort of in the residential areas first before sort of more of the, um, you know, the, the hipper hot areas like downtown and, you know, Greenwich Village. I mean, they were, they're certainly lively, but you know, the recovery really took place for me, the Upper West Side, the Upper East Side, they really started coming back faster. And, you know, of course, you know, driving through some of the suburbs, I mean, the downtown life in, in you know, talk about Long Island, like Manhasset, some of those suburbs, uh, Great Neck up, you know, and then going up into Westchester, you know, Sleepy Hollow, some of these areas. I mean, the, the little local areas were really lively uh, post-pandemic. And, you know, I kind of want to take that issue and I'm going to change the subject. And, and I'd like to talk about data. You know, you mentioned um, you know, housing starts essentially and, you know, the inventory issues. And I think a lot of it has to come, a lot of it comes down to, especially from an agent's level, um, about finding that stuff and making sure that you're tracking it properly. And I know you guys did a fantastic job building one key. And I wonder if you could talk about some of the issues you have or you've seen toward that data problem, whether that's getting clean data or disseminating it. And I'm just, you know, curious what the data issue looks like, uh, looks like from your end right now. Uh, so one key MLS covers a very large territory. We're all in Montauk, through Long Island, all the boroughs up in the Lower Hudson uh, River Valley. And we have about, I think at this point, we have about 46,000 uh, participating agents who subscribe to the service. Uh, I do think that our data is extremely strong in our footprint that includes all of that geography outside of Manhattan, and Brooklyn. And right. the reason for that, and you gentlemen both know the challenges because of you know, what you do in, with Urban Digs, uh, 
of trying to get accurate data in the city. And a big part of that is because MLS's multiple listing services exist every other, in every other geography in the country except for New York City. Uh, there is, a, you know, one key's always covered Queens and Brooklyn does have a very vibrant MLS uh, as does Staten Island and we cover the Bronx. Uh, but I do think that there is not the same culture of agents entering clean data into one unified system where they are required to do certain things like timely put through a title pass when the property sells, uh, where there's got to be square footage. Uh, so all the things that every other MLS takes for granted is more of a challenge in this market. Now we do get a lot of data from New York City firms. Uh, we've had some success there, but you know, we get a lot of data from data feeds, which is the same data feed that they use to uh, exchange data amongst themselves. And mm -hmm. that's limited in terms of the number of fields and it's limited in terms of the quality of the data. And it's a challenge we've been battling for a couple of years. I think that we're making traction, but it creates a lot of challenges or all of the agents operating in that geography. Yeah, and, and you know what? I think agents, they don't want this. The agents want clean data. I think deep down inside, they want good tools that come from the clean data. Um, I think there's just a lot of structural issues going on here um, with disparate data feeds. And, and yeah, you know, Richard, we're on the same side of the, of the line here um, when it comes to data integrity, because you know, we, we know exactly what you're talking about. And at the end of the day, the data is only as good as the agent that enters it into the system. And sometimes the system is going to have, have to have some controls and filters to protect itself from the agent itself trying to not put good data into the system. Um, that does happen out there. Um, I think it's an ongoing thing. I think a lot of agents are like, oh, why don't you just fix it and then be done with it? Like it tomorrow there could be an issue that didn't exist today. Like it's just, this is the world that we live in. I don't think agents understand that. It's an ever evolving dynamic ecosystem of um, structurally inefficient data feeds. Um, and here we are trying to make sense of it all. So um, thank you for doing what you're doing. Um, and before I let you go, I have one last question, Richard. Um, what do you see going ahead? Where is residential real estate headed? And what could agents um, do now to prep for what is coming down the road? So I am bullish. I continue to be bullish. I think one of the reasons why we created One Key is from my perspective, we are covering the greatest geography in the world. New York City and the greater suburban area. And when I mentioned that, I'm talking also about Connecticut, certain parts of Connecticut and certain parts of uh, New Jersey. That's very attractive real estate. Uh, and forget about the false narrative that everybody's leaving the city. I think agents have a unique opportunity and the better agents have already taken advantage of that. Uh, they know they've got to be educated about the market. They know they have to have access to good data. And that's why you know, you've got a, a very uh, strong uh, subscriber base because people value your product because they know they can trust your product. And that's, I think, indicative of what agents have to do. They've got to get the best data. They've got to have, from my perspective, the best tools. Uh, and so long as they can deliver that value proposition to consumers, they're going to succeed because this market's not going away. Now, the one thing we didn't have time to talk about is the one missing ingredient that I definitely don't have a good pulse on is 
folks coming back into the city to actually work mm -hmm. to start to fill up that commercial space. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's going to sort itself out in the next two years. Uh, that's going to be a bit longer. That's not going to happen. I think by the end of 2022, that's going to, we're going to have to see how that plays out in 2023. But once that really gets starts to get more settled, I think this market is going to continue to boom. Yeah. Well, th thank you for bringing that up. That is actually a huge missing piece. And that's something that Noah and I have been talking about quite a bit is that yes. there's still a lot that remains to be done in terms of, you know, the city getting getting back to its its proper footing. I mean, we still have a lot of storefront retail that's, that's uh, waiting to be occupied. There's still a lot of office space waiting to be occupied. So there still is a wave of... Um, move-ins or i'm not sure what the what the proper phrase the, is the depth of the buyer pool right yeah. exactly so that's a that's a fantastic point yeah richard we, we 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 think that we're not at full capacity and and our general secular bull thesis for new york city is based on the fact that our our buyer pool is not at full capacity and what we're missing is commercial and the retail and the farm buyers and the foreign investors and the rental market's doing its thing. So now we're getting investors potentially looking at our market because cap rates are interesting again. So um, it's a great market. And um, thank you for joining us today and, and sharing your thoughts and what you're seeing from your world over there. Um, Richard Haggerty, uh, CEO of the Hudson Gateway Association of Realtors and president of OneKey. I am Noah Rosenblatt. That is John Walkup. This has been Talking Manhattan. And we'll catch you next time. Richard, thank you for joining us. My pleasure.